Tonight is April 22nd, 2015. Our message this Sunday was called Reproduction. And today it's called STD. Before you frown too big at me, when we spoke about reproduction, we talked about everything giving birth according to its kind. If you want to produce something that is on fire for the living God, it will not come from something that is dead. If you want to produce something that is spiritual, it must come from the spiritual. Jesus said it in John 3. We looked at the cornerstone and the pattern that had to be laid down against which all others would be measured. We went on to talk about the importance of adherence to that pattern without deviation. We don't have the right to change the pattern that God laid down any more than we have the right to edit the book of Isaiah. The church of the living God is to be a foundation and pillar of truth. It has to mirror Jesus, and we do not have the right to deviate from him. Tonight, when I say STD, and some of you smiled, some of you laughed, and some of you dropped your head, I want you to know that STD means different things to different people. Some have spent their entire life trying to avoid it. I myself got married very young, was in love with the same woman all of my life, never planned to be in love with any other woman for the rest of my life, spiritually monogamous, physically monogamous, and absolutely living in the protection of the covenants and glory of God. I found out that STD could mean many things. Apparently, to most worldly people, it means sexually transmitted disease. I'm not nearly concerned with sexually transmitted diseases. They might make a medicine for that. But when you speak of spiritually transmitted diseases, there is only one medicine, and that is Jesus the Christ. I have noticed that those who don't work produce children who don't work. I have noticed that those that are always afraid produce children who are always afraid. I have noticed that those who are always sick and worried about being sick produce those who are always sick and always worried about being sick. And I would like to stop the transmission of spiritually transmitted diseases. You may have gone to churches where they taught you to break generational curses. In my mind, walking in the power of the living God means no curse lands on me. Let's not argue for anything lesser, amen? Amen. Tonight, we're not talking about spiritually transmitted diseases, though. We're talking about the answer, the cure. A spiritually transmitted deposit. Somebody say amen in the house of God. There is an unbroken chain that extends all the way back from the beginning of the faithful. And it was present here in this room tonight. The living God meets with those who are hungry. The living God will show up in the presence of those that are broken by their circumstances. He will be exalted where he is praised. And he will dwell like in a throne on top of your praise. If you've ever felt far from the Lord, begin to praise him. If you've ever felt broken by your circumstances, begin to praise him for allowing you to stand inside of them. Don't fall to disease when you can have a heavenly deposit. We're going to pick up tonight. I want to remind you that we ended with a couple ideas on Sunday. The first one came from 1 Timothy 3 and 15. And 1 Timothy 3 and 15 said, if I am delayed, I am writing these things to you that you might know how they ought to be in the church. If I am delayed, Timothy, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Why did he write the letter? He wanted to know how things had to be. What kind of things did he say right before this in the entire previous chapter? You cannot choose for yourself leaders who are simply good looking. You cannot choose for yourself leaders who are simply influential or good businessmen or rich or best-selling authors. The core and foundation that you must look to is how do they run their own households. If we ignore these patterns, then the church ceases to be the pillar and the foundation of truth. Then we picked up in 2 Timothy and the third verse. And it was this verse that I ended with. I had intended to start with it on Sunday. And in two hours of preaching, I never got there. 
So tonight, we pick up with it. Our topic, spiritually transmitted deposits, and our first verse. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. How did Paul serve God? As his forefathers did. We act as if Paul fell out of the heavens, deposited on earth as a new religion and a new man and a new purpose. Paul grew out of a rich tradition that he never rejected because it had been transmitted from the first of the faithful all the way down. I'm going to run through a list of scriptures with you in Acts quickly so that you get a point, a powerful point. The first one is in Acts 14 in verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. Where did they go as usual? Into the Jewish synagogue. Then in Acts 17, in verse 12, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. How about Acts 18, in verse 4? Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Are you, are you beginning to see a pattern? Every Sabbath, he's in the synagogue. How about Acts 19 and 8? Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Does it sound like Paul was a regular Sabbath attender? It does. How about Acts 21 and verse 20? When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brothers, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to the customs. What shall we do? They certainly will hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. Tell me, have you ever noticed these scriptures before? Paul met in the synagogue every Sabbath. Paul served God as his forefathers served God. In fact, look at Acts 23 and 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am, present tense, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Apparently, either Paul lied or Paul was, present tense, a Pharisee. Acts 24 and verse 14 I know we're running through these quickly. I want you to get just one point from it. Make your list. Go back and examine it and find out what Paul's custom was. Find out how he lived. Find out what his heritage was. However, I admit that I worship the God of our forefathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Oh man, before we go on any further, what you should hear is that Paul never felt like he left Judaism. Judaism may have left Paul. But Paul didn't leave Judaism. And here's what I mean by that. A man named Abraham was a friend of God. In Genesis 15, he saw a vision of the word of God, and he believed that vision, and it was credited to him as righteousness. From Abraham forward, God chose men. Genesis 18:15 says something to the effect of God chose Abraham to direct his children and his household after him. God choose, chose men who would believe what he revealed to them. Men who would carry it on, who would teach the next generation. He did that so that there would be a witness of him on the earth always. How many of you love the Lord in the house of God tonight? But the gospel did not originate with you. How did it get to you? 
Someone had to bring it. And where did they get it from? From someone who brought it to them. There is an unbroken chain all the way back to the beginning of transformed lives. And those transformed lives spoke a message. And that message is still speaking today. In the middle of our worship service, a man can prophesy in another tongue. And another man can give an interpretation. And it be God speaking to us today in ways that neither man understands. You know all of those songs about come to the water? Did y'all hear that? You know who didn't know about those songs? The man who gave the tongue or the man who gave the interpretation. Go figure. It's as if God is among us. Church, the most important thing that we can do is realize that we are a part of a rich heritage that extends all the way back to the beginning. To love and sanctify the sacred transmission of the gospel. It didn't originate with us. We don't have the right to change it. It came to us in a pure and undefiled format, and we must transmit it in a pure and undefiled format. In Acts 25, in verse 8, then Paul made his defense, I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. If you don't understand what I'm saying, that is okay. You reflect on it. The Lord will give you insight. But you need to hear this. Christianity is not a change in the way that God dealt with men. It's the fullest expression of what His intent has always been. There is no Old Testament God and New Testament God that are opposed to each other and at odds with each other. There is no Old Dispensation and New Dispensation. Men have always been saved exactly the same way. They trusted God in the midst of their weakness. And he saved them in spite of their weakness. This is how men have been saved. And Paul says this in 2 Timothy 1 in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did. With a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. (laughs) Recalling your tears I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith. What kind of faith? Is there a kind of faith that's not sincere? Then why did he need to distinguish? There have always been those that say that they have faith. I will show you my faith by what I do. And I suggest that you do exactly the same. Because the human heart is deceptive. And many people claim there are things in their hearts that are nowhere found in their actions. Come on, ladies. Do you want a husband? Who only says he loves you in his heart, but his actions never comply. His actions never show that. Would you rather a husband that you knew what was in his heart by exactly what he did every day? Oh, do you think God is deserving of less? Timothy had a sincere faith, but where did he get it? Which first lived in your grandmother... Come on, somebody. Thank God for a praying grandma. Thank God for somebody who taught you the scripture. Thank God for somebody that was praying for you before you were born. Oh, thank God that there's a purpose for us at every age in our lives. Thank God that even in our last years, we can affect the generations to come. First lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. Are you telling me that something can be transmitted from grandma to mama to daughter or son? Oh, you can transmit a disease that says we don't work. That's just the kind of people we are. You can transmit a disease that says we're weak and we're afraid. We are classic victims. And that is exactly what you will pass on. Or you can tell them our family has been favored by God. It's our pleasure to serve for Him. We go where He says go. We do what He says do. And it is our very great joy to suffer for Him. Oh, when you transmit the right kind of deposit, you are guaranteeing the success of your children. Perhaps this is why the Proverbs say, when you train a child in the way it should go, when he's old, he will not depart from it. It never says... Never, that when he's old, he'll come back to it. This is the modern twist on the scripture to try to make us feel better about not raising our children in a godly way and not depositing in them an unconquerable faith. 
This is what modern preachers have done to put icing over your wound, but it will not heal the wounds. If we deposit in our children the right things, they will never forsake them. Oh, church, there ought to be an amen in the house of God. And if there's not an amen for that, examine your heart and find out whether you would rather God be wrong or you be wrong. I say let God be true and every man a liar. In this case, as heavy as the pattern is, as weighty as the pattern is, as difficult as it is to be measured against the cornerstone of Christ and how short every man falls, understand something. Even the grandma was doing it. Even the mama was doing it. And yes, Timothy did it too. So as short as we fall with God's help, what can happen? Oh man, think on this. Abraham is 2000 B.C. Somebody say, that's a long time ago. That's as far before Christ as we are from Christ now. But it was passed from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob and from Jacob to his 12 sons. And it made it all the way to you. So let us not think that on our watch the deposit won't go forward. Let us not think that the gospel made it to us and we're the termination point of it. It was about us. It was for us. It's about us. And, and, and praise God, it all revolves around us. This is a damnable lie. The gospel didn't start with you and it cannot, must not, in the name of Jesus, will not end with you. This is why the last words of the church are come, Lord Jesus. And the last words of Jesus are go into all of the world. It's a difference of perspective. Of course, I want Jesus to come. But I'm convinced that Jesus has already performed the role that he was supposed to perform. And now it's my job as his body to carry it out. Somebody say amen. amen. In your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now, lives in you. Do you hear it? Faith is a living thing. It lives in you. It's not just deposited in you. It lives in anything that is alive, is breathing and growing. Oh, come on. It's alive. If you don't have a living faith, if you're a part of a faith that is derived from dead men and the things that dead men said, I'm sorry you need to repent. The faith of the living God lives in a human being. It will speak to you through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, during your most difficult hours, it will guide you. It's better than a GPS. It will get you in to the kingdom of God every day of your life so that at the end of your life, it will be nothing new. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. How did the gifts of God get in Timothy? Oh, Timothy had a mentor. Timothy had someone to disciple him. Timothy had somebody to encourage him. Timothy had somebody in his life that said, this is what the faith walk looks like. You put your feet where I put my feet. He had somebody in his life that said, you need to stop whining and start praising. He had somebody in his life that said, you get up and go to work even when it hurts, son. That's just what men do. Amen. And because of that, their relationship was very special. He actually tells Timothy later in this letter to go find men and do the very same thing for them. The church of the living God cannot be the pillar and foundation of truth if it is simply based on sitting on your salvation and soaking in someone's message. The church of the living God goes through the generations because what is living in one generation is deposited in the next and it's taking on all of the same characteristics that it took on in the overcoming faith of Abraham. Have you been discipled? Are you walking in the truth? Is it living in you? Are you simply entertained by those that you see this message in? For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I would like to tell you that the world is telling Christians to sit back and shut up. But it doesn't have the courage to say it to a Muslim who has a satanic book, is worshipping Satan under the name of Allah, and following a pedophile prophet. Why do they dare to say these things to Christians? Perhaps we've been 
too timid. We are physically timid, but we should be spiritually powerful. If five Muslims get together and say they want to pray five times a day, Toyota bends to them and builds them a prayer room. But you can't get five Christians that are willing to lose their job to pray every day. This got to change. That is not what was deposited in us. That is not what went before us. And that is not what will save the world after us. We have a responsibility to the truth. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Or ashamed of me, His prisoner. But join me in suffering. When's the last time you heard that as an altar call? Come join the Lord. Come join those who went before you in suffering for the gospel. No, we like our grace greasy. We like our agape sloppy. We want whatever we can get from God, but we don't want to give a thing to Him. We're here to consume. We're Americans. Oh, this cannot be, church. It is not here. It will never be here. In the name of Jesus, we are looking for the opportunity to prove beyond any measure of a doubt. That we love the Lord more than we love our own lives. Is there anybody in the house of God that feels that way today? But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to what? Because you are displaying the character of God. What a high calling. How many of you would be thrilled to death to be the ambassador to the United States? How many of you would be thrilled to death to represent Nike somewhere? To represent Coca-Cola somewhere? You represent Jesus the Christ to all of the world. How important is it that we get it right? How long would you apprentice to become a secretary of state? How long would you have to, (laughs) until recent years... Work to become a senator in the United States. But we're going to represent Jesus Christ in a half-hearted, half-taught, and half-cocked way? No. Church, those that He has sent have been clothed with Him. Those that speak for Him, He is inside of. Those that go out and do the gospel work, do it in the name, character, authority, and by the body of work that is the Christ. Now are you seeing why there are so few who are actually working? Who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Could you ponder that for a minute? The Christ has destroyed death. Destroyed it. There will be a day when my feet will stand on a mountain in Israel. Some of your feet will be there as well. We will see Father Abraham and we will watch death rolled up like a dirty sheet and thrown into the lake of hell. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald. This begins our text. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed. The apostle Paul considered himself a herald, somebody who goes and announces. He considered himself an apostle because Jesus Christ called him to that. You could think of him as a man that had the power of attorney to use Jesus' name. You could think of him as an ambassador of God. Someone that wherever he was, the rule of God was. Wherever he was, the word of God was. Wherever he was, the power of God was. Church, all of those same things are said about you. If you are in the church, then the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. If you are in the church, then you have keys, plural, for every gate of the enemy. If you are in the church, you have the power of attorney to use the name of Christ. How do we use it? When you step in something? How do we use it? When you're imprisoned? How do we use it? 
Oh, church, we have to do the work that Jesus did. Can somebody say that's a high calling? Listen to what this next verse says. It's verse 12. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed. Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Did anybody have a different translation in here? Three, four people. Let's put the complete Jewish Bible translation on the screen. If you have an American, not American standard, a amplified Bible, it would be the same way. And this is why I suffer as I do. Why does he suffer? Because he's been sent by God and the world resists. Why does he suffer? Because he has the authority to use the name of Christ. What did they do to Christ? They killed him. Beware if the world loves you. And this is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. Because I know him in whom I have put my trust. And I am persuaded that he can keep safe until that day what he has entrusted to me. One translation makes it look as if we gave God something. The other translation more clearly identifies that God gave us something. I'm not going to go into a Greek lesson here, but I want to tell you that the sentence is somewhat ambiguous. There are two words at play. One is mal and the other is apathike. Mal means of me or mine. Apathike means entrusted or deposited. There is no question that we're talking about something being deposited with someone. The question is, who deposited what with whom? How many of you think you have something God needs? Me either. What you heard from me keep us the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to who? I want to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news about the nature of our God as represented in Christ Jesus was entrusted to Paul and he trusted that God would guard it inside of him. Keep him from error. Keep him on the straight and narrow. Keep him in the purposes of God. And Paul successfully transmitted that deposit right into Timothy. And he told Timothy to guard it and guard it with the help of Of who? The Holy Spirit. Church, this is so, so important. Let's look at Hebrews 13, 7 through 8 for a moment. Consider for a moment that the church is the pattern that God intended to save the entire world. Consider for a moment that we are His agency, His embassy on the earth. And listen to this statement. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. How important is it that you are being discipled by people that you know? How important is it that leaders are actually leading you, not just some business entity? How important is it that you know their way of life and can imitate their trust? Look at the 8th verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I want to tell you he did not change when Moses arrived on the scene. Moses just received a deposit. He didn't change because Jesus arrived on the scene. It's been the same forever. And that deposit has made it all the way from Adam and Eve's righteous son, Seth, down to you. Anybody got a family heirloom in here? My family gave me a bad name. That's what I got. What did you get? Hmm? The first time somebody asked me if I was a man's son, I thought I was going to have to duck. A punch was coming. Wasn't long I found out that my daddy beat their daddy out of a business deal. Doesn't surprise me at all. Made it very clear that I had a new daddy. That I'd taken on his nature. That I'd been bought by his blood and I had been adopted. Anybody got a family heirloom? You got a shotgun somebody gave you? Oh, come on, girls. You got grandma's wedding ring? 
If it had been handed down for 4,000 years, how precious would it be to you? What if every generation of every living soul in your family that there had ever been had had touched this, had care of it, and successfully got it to you? Tell me, would you just throw it in the trunk of your car? Would you leave it on the back dash to just crack in the sun? What would you do with it? Would you guard it? Would you protect it? Would you make sure that you got it to those who were, you were supposed to get it to after you? Is, are the eternal things of God less valuable than your family heirlooms? When I became born of heaven, I found a new responsibility. I could no longer help but tell. It became, as Jeremiah said, like fire shut up in my bones. I could no longer just watch the world go to hell. I have been given something, something that not everybody had. The King of Kings spoke to me. He spoke to me in an audible way that knocked me down and truthfully went right through my body. When I got back to my feet, I was a new human being. I still had all of the same scars. I still had all of the same social problems. But I had a deposit inside me. Maybe as small as a mustard seed, but growing to take over every area of my life. It wasn't long and it began to grow throughout my family. We began to see people born again and filled with the Spirit of God. And we found out that this deposit was spiritually transferable. As long as religion didn't act as some kind of strange prophylactic. Church, it is our job to transmit the truth of the gospel, not in intellectual assent, not in five verses that you can simply say yes to, but in a way of life that agrees with what you teach. Consider 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. Listen to Paul speaking about his son Timothy, to whom we're reading this letter that was written. For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Have you heard it once or heard it a thousand times? Church is full of hypocrites. Well, don't be one. Absorb the teaching. Apply the teaching. Be taught by those who are further along in you in the way of life and ignore every man, every single one, whose teaching does not agree with his way of life. Stop considering them leaders. Stop considering them the church. Just because a man preaches well but goes home and chokes his daughter. Just because a man preaches well but wants a $65 million jet to pad his ego. Stop referring to it as the church. You know what the church is? It's that which is overcoming hell. That which is denied self, taken up the cross, and gone after the cause of Christ. These are the ones that we imitate. You don't need a fancy suit. You don't need an expensive car. And I challenge your heart if that's what you think holiness and prosperity is. I don't want 365 confessions of prosperity. I'll take one holy life. We live in a day when the gospel of Jesus Christ is being perverted. And you might be the only epistle anybody gets to read. What they know of Jesus, they will learn from the way they see you live. We cannot have some kind of unholy covenant with the world that says, I won't point out your flaws, you don't point out mine, and we'll get along every day pretty much exactly the same. But for a couple idolatrous hours on Sunday, we will go be entertained in an amusement park-like environment, and that's what distinguishes us from you. Paul gave a charge to Timothy. It's in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. We've read much of it. Listen to the rest. I'm going to start back in 13. What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard. Somebody say guard. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It would take God's help 
for you to represent Him. It would take God's help for you to stay true to what had been entrusted to you. And without His help, you couldn't do it. You know that everyone in the providence of Asia has deserted me, including Phlygeus and Hermonides. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Omnisiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong. Somebody say, be strong. Be strong. It takes a strong, spiritually tough human being to stand against the rigors of hell. And none of us fit that bill. But the Holy Ghost will mold you. He will form you. He will gospel harden you in all of the right ways so that when tempted, when your heart and your flesh fail, the standard of God rises up in you and says, I cannot be bought off. I cannot be seduced away from. I will not be intimidated out of. In the name of Jesus, I will hold the pattern. The gospel advances through men and women that have received the power of God with deep conviction and holiness. They have a reverence for what's gone before them, a reverence for their very life now, and a reverence for what they pass on. Church, we cannot play Christian. That will only produce people who play Christian. If you've been born of a heavenly substance, you have a heavenly responsibility. If the Holy Spirit of God has regenerated and renewed you, I would submit to you that it's not even about you. It's about those that you're supposed to give that truth to. Many of you in this room would live and die for the gospel. We've served together in Mexican garbage dumps, valleys in India, under threat of gun, threat of knife, threat of disease. There's a river in India that liked to kill us all. One in Honduras that nearly did kill everybody but Steve. Spiders as big as a man's hand. And why? Because the deposit transcends culture. It transcends race. It transcends everything that might divide a human being. And when somebody has what you have, you feel immediately connected. Some men came to our Bible study Monday night that I've never met. And when they walked through the door, I saw in their eyes the very same thing that are in mine. And we were brothers. I don't care whether they think communion juice is fermented or unfermented. I don't care how they baptize or when they think the rapture will occur. We would die together. You can see it. You can feel it. The question is, why don't we see it and feel it more? Perhaps... In our reproduction, the quality has fallen to the place of fraud. Perhaps instead of a spiritually transmitted deposit, we've had a spiritually transmitted disease. Perhaps we've turned the gospel into a bless me club infected with a disease called I want heaven right now. I want the best now. To hell with the rest of the world, this is about me. There is no room for a selfish gospel. It's incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. These men did not live that way. They raised up men who did not live that way. And for the first four centuries that Christianity was a raging power on the planet, the expectation within your lifetime was that you would give your life for the gospel. It's only in this last century that we have no expectation of martyrdom. Our only expectation is that every day be like Friday. This be our best day now. And people like Oprah Winfrey love us. You can fill stadiums like that, but you will never fill the heart and purposes of God like that. You better decide, do you want the favor of God or the favor of the men that you see around you? You better make up your mind now because they'll often throw a man who's favored by God into a hole. Ask our brother Joseph. But no matter how deep that hole is, God can make you savior of the world. Ask our brother Joseph. You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach each other. 
When I say that Paul was a part of a rich heritage, it's hard to explain just how rich it was. We're so foreign to us. Let us put on the screen the Pirake Avot. This is Hebrew for the ethics of our father. Every Sabbath from Babylon forward, from 516 B.C. forward, the Jewish nation has read this on Sabbath. It's a reminder that something was handed down to Moses on a mountain from God. And what was handed down from him, he handed to the next and the next and the next. And it forms an unbroken chain. Moses received the Torah on Sinai, it's verse 1. And it handed down to Joshua. Joshua to the elders. The elders to the prophets. And the prophets handed it down to the men of the great assembly. They said three things. Be deliberate in judgment. Raise up many disciples and make a fence around the Torah. Understand what we're saying here. We're saying that Moses received the direct word of God. But the teaching about the direct word of God, Moses passed down to Joshua. For instance, the, the Ten Commandments say something like, You shall not work on the Sabbath. But who could determine what work was? How would you know that? Is it work to walk from here to the back of the room? Anybody, is that work? Some say no. Is it work to walk from here to the grocery store? Some say no. Is it work to walk from here to Louisiana? Yes. Yes. So somewhere between Louisiana and the grocery store, we're going to find a line that this is work and this is not work. How do you know? Moses explained to Joshua. And Joshua explained to the elders. And the elders explained to the great assembly. And the great assembly explained it to the prophets and on and on and on. They also taught something about it. They said these three things. Be deliberate in judgment. Somebody say that's good advice. Raise up many disciples. Somebody say that's godly advice. And make a fence around the Torah. That's wisdom. If you're not supposed to get in the pool, perhaps you shouldn't even go in the fence around the pool. This was a heart that wanted to be holy. You may never have heard of Simeon the Just, but the second verse of the ethics of our father, Simeon the Just, was one of the last survivors of the great assembly. He used to say, by three things the world is sustained. By the Torah, by the temple service, and by deeds of loving kindness. Oh man, does anybody disagree that the Word of God, the church of the living God, and acts of righteousness are the only hope of the world? Well, this was handed down. This was handed down all the way to us. When the Apostle Paul says something, like 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then he goes on to describe the rest. But did you catch that he received it from somewhere? And he passed it on to somewhere. Let me ask you at the end of your life, who will you be able to say that the deposit that was given to you, you know lives in them? It's very hard to comprehend that you could receive the cure for cancer and share it with no one. It's very hard to comprehend that you could receive an inheritance better than all of the lotteries put together and share it with no one. Oh, this ought to be like fire shut up in our bones. I'm convinced that the reason that the gospel is shared so little is because it's lived so little. And we do not want to represent something in our words that we do not have in our lives. There's only one cure, church. We have to fan into flame that which has been put in us. There's only one cure. It's a holy lifestyle. The holy lifestyle will yield holy fruit. It will yield holy witness. It will yield a holy transmission of a spiritually transmitted deposit. Consider the alternative. The lamp of God be extinguished among your brethren in the generations to come. There's a man in my family named Moses Rhodes. 
Moses Rhodes was my grandfather's grandfather. In the family tree, every name was a Bible name. Back then they rode their horses to church. My people were never high society folks. And apparently Moses was on his way from a church meeting when a visiting pastor heard him (coughs) laughing hilariously and acting as if drunk. The rumor began to spread that Moses Rhodes was a drunkard because they overheard him drunk. Sometimes yucky things happen in churches. But a yuckier thing happened. Moses, who had been praying and simply been excited and been like a child when he thought nobody could hear him, received an offense. And Moses named his son something other than a Bible name. And his son named his son something other than a Bible name. Till we get to my grandfather, whose name was Rocky Rhodes, just like the ice cream. And the universal testimony about him is he's the hardest human being anybody ever met. And that his own children struggled to love him because he was so wicked. Now they got some six foot tall icicle to lie at his funeral. Because that's what we do now. But the truth is he sowed alcoholism and violence and destruction into every generation after him. And when you begin to count up the generations after Moses Rhodes... We get into the two and three hundred people because one man did not transmit a spiritual deposit. He transmitted a spiritual disease to his family. Tell me what's at stake, friends. What do you... If the word says that the gospel or that God or the Lord of the gospel would do more than you could ask for or imagine... Then if you shipwreck the faith in your generation, if you do not transmit it, then what kind of damage is done? More than you could ask for or imagine. Do you have a responsibility? Somebody talk to me tonight. Do you take it seriously? Are you going to fan it? I want to submit to you that what we find in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 is everything. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. See, we receive a deposit. We guard a deposit. We grow a deposit. And we must transmit a deposit. At this point in my life, I'm only interested in speaking to those without a deposit for one reason. And that's to see whether they want what God has given me. And I'm only interested in speaking to those with a deposit for one reason. To see whether they can help grow mine or I can help grow theirs. Because we have a responsibility. If you were given five talents, you better go find five more. You were given three talents, you better go find three more. Don't you believe for a moment that you can bury and hide what God has given you and He will not hold you accountable. Now while the weight of that settles on us, remember something else. How imperfect was Abraham? He lied about his wife twice. How imperfect was Isaac? He couldn't even rightly discern which son was good and which was not good. How imperfect was Jacob, a liar, a trickster, a deceiver? How imperfect was Joseph? And they all successfully transmitted the deposit. It turns out that God predestined when he put his spirit in you. (laughs) Come on, Nick. See, I listen when you teach too. When he put his spirit in you, it's like predestining you. Because when he put that deposit in you, he knew what you would become. And those he predestined, he called. He's always calling you forward. He's saying, come on, leave her, the Chaldees. Come on, you can do it. And those he calls, he also justifies. It turns out that just like Jacob, he's still in the nature-changing business. He'll take you from deceiver to prince with God, Israel. And those he justifies, he'll glorify. He will take you from the pit your brothers threw you in and put you in the palace to save the whole world. You were given a deposit. 
Grab hold of what He gave you. Grow it. Guard it. And for God's sake, transmit it. You'd be pretty upset if you were suffering with a disease and somebody else were sitting on the cure too scared to tell you. I will not keep silent about this ever again. In the name of Jesus, I will be strong. I will entrust to reliable men. I will endure hardship. We're going to close with these encouragements from Paul to Timothy. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Tell me, friends, are soldiers here to honor authority or ignore it? Then I'm going to tell you, endure hardship like a good soldier. Honor the one in authority over you. Stop whining about the position you're in and be thankful that you're useful for it, that you were given something. You're growing something and you're in the situation you're in to transmit something. It was never about you. It's always been about them. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved with civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Stop dealing in worldly things. You are here for a purpose. If you're a Democrat, don't be a Democrat before you're a Christian. If you're a Republican, don't be a Republican before you're a Christian. If you're white, don't be a white Christian. Be a Christian who's white. If you're black, don't be a black Christian. Be a Christian who is black. Christ must have preeminence in everything. If you're a man with a handsome beard, then be a Christian with a beard. But let's not break off and have bearded Christians. If you've been deprived of luxurious locks growing off of your face, then be glad that you've been humbled for the gospel. Similarly, if anyone completes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Friends, soldiers, they, they please their commanding officers, but athletes... They compete lawfully for a crown. You run with a purpose. Transmit with a purpose. Grow the gospel with a purpose. Add to it every day, not just to hand it to your children, but the stranger for whom you can never receive praise except from God. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Farmer's glory and growth. With your deposit, you may not seem to have gotten as much as the person sitting next to you, but nobody can stop you from growing in it every day. And if you can look back and see you're further than you were yesterday, then you ought to be like the hardworking farmer that says there was so long that the seed never even broke the soil. But now I see seedlings. They're not a mighty harvest yet, but I see something moving and glory in it. Oh, church, we have a responsibility. Most people can feel that things are going wrong. In the immortal words of Elvis Presley, when things go wrong, don't go with them. This is our hour. If it is being darkened around us, if the spiritual lights are going out on our watch, this is a chance for you to shine brighter. Thank God for the contrast. Thank God that you were born for a purpose. Now, we come from a little storefront church. I guess we're not a store anymore. We're a warehouse front church now. There was a time we were a garage. There was a time before that that we were just a living room. There was a time before that we were just a seed of revelation in some broken people's hearts. Glory in what God is doing and never rest until you've transmitted it to everybody that you know. Could you all stand to your feet?